day to you all. We are back. This is for ref sake. Episode number 28 of current season, number 59 if you're counting in total. I am joined once again by my good friend and colleague, Mr. Luke Scott. Hello, Wayne. The big daddy of Kingsop. How's your week been, Luke? Yeah, it's been good, mate. I'm not. I'm not sure I like the name Big Daddy, but yeah, <laughs> the, the Big Daddy. Um, been wiping a lot of bums, have we? Yeah, yeah, I've had a few. Yeah, yeah, a few. So yeah, welcome along to the show. If you haven't uh, heard us before, um, this is not our normal topic of conversation. Uh, we normally talk about refereeing, which we will be in the next hour or so. So thank you for joining us. If you haven't joined us before, join us on TikTok, join us on Instagram, Facebook, X. We're on Amazon, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple, all the big things. We are joined in this episode by Mr. Thomas Cook, our friend, our colleague, but National League assistant referee. He's going to talk about his transition from refereeing to being an assistant referee. And a big thank you as well last week to Mr. Dan Leach. We enjoyed that episode and thanks for all the nice feedback. Uh, we're going to talk all about the Carabao Cup and trends and things and lots of interesting stuff so yeah thanks for joining us and uh yeah so uh, you've had a week off work luke has it been a, a successful week have you enjoyed your paternity leave yeah no it's been good yeah um all gone all gone smoothly i would say and under government government guidelines you've got another week <laughs> i understand correct yeah yeah so yeah got another another week of paternity this week so um more wiping bums and probably NHS appointments, I guess. Beautiful. A lot of appointments, isn't there? Yeah, there is, yeah. I mean, yeah. when you've got as many children as I have, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, pales into insignificance, insignificance, whatever it is. But yeah, it's, it's been a busy old time. Um, a few things to talk about in the old refereeum world as well. Um, yeah. So let's get, to, let's get to the first bit, the Carabao Cup. I mean... Yes. It lost its um, exclusivity once Middlesbrough got knocked out in the semi-finals. I say exclusive. Yeah, <laughs> more you were interest. hoping for a, you were hoping for a day at Wembley, weren't you? A day at Wembley. I got my tickets yeah. booked and everything, but um, so the big the big talking point was the offside, non-offside. Was it offside? Wasn't it offside? As usual, social media blew up. Blah bloody bloody blah. blah, blah, blah. Um, what were your thoughts? Are you are you happy with the decision? I know a regular listener, Dave Avon, he was uh, very vociferous with his thoughts on the the impact of the VAR. What, what were your thoughts, though? Yeah, look, I think it's right in law. I don't think I don't think we can I don't think we can hide from that. Um, look, I think my frustration with it is just the consistency of application throughout. I, to be honest, I I think. I think that should have been penalised, um, but I, I'm not particularly comfortable with, like I say, the lack of consistency across similar situations throughout. And and the reason I say I think it should have been penalised is because I think that the the uh, the Liverpool player did impact on the Chelsea player's ability to to have an opportunity to play the ball. Now, Law doesn't say that he has to definitely be able to play the ball, but 
the, the the opportunity for him to be able to get into a position to play the ball was taken away from him. And that that's an issue for me, because if he was be able, able to get into that position, then would Van Dijk have had a, as clear a header that he did in, in that circumstance? Probably not. So I think that action has had an impact and I think that that should be penalised. But the, the frustration is the consistency of approach, but also the the communication of the reasoning as to why, because the the commentators don't understand why. Um, So we just get a load of misinformation fed back. If there was clarity over the actual reasons why and confirmation that it's the correct decision in the laws of the game, which it is because the law clearly refers to that exact scenario, then I think football would be in a much better place. But there's some big dogs. I mean, we never, because we're a professional podcast, we never sell out our mates. But there's some big dogs on our Instagram poll who've who voted. Um, and I'm talking, you know, I, I'm, I'm sounding quite flippant there, but I'm talking about people who are operating at Premier League level um, and, and Championship and Football League level who've, who've gone with the, with the offside. And, and, and I agree, you know, what you said. It's, it's frustrating. I got a message from somebody, um, not a referee, who said that offside decision was ridiculous. They, you know, it's a friend of mine. But they don't, and they're not a referee, so they don't understand no. the, the concept of what what's happening. If number, I can't remember who it was now because I wasn't really watching. But the player who's being penalised for offside, number three, what's his name? Is it is it Fabinho? No, it's not. Is it? Oh, I couldn't tell you. Anyway, him, uh, whoever it was. <laughs> uh, I, I knew he had number three on because you told me. Um, but if he's not stood in an offside position in the first place, whatever he wants to do. You know, blocking or whatever. If he's yeah, not stood yeah. in offside position in the first place, and an obvious offside position, then that doesn't happen, does it? It's not an issue. No, no, and you know that's the thing. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to be stood in offside position. And yeah, I, I think I suppose the frustration. The frustration is that 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 particular decision will not be given anywhere outside of the Premier League. Mm. Because you know that nobody, you look at expectation on the day. Nobody's appealing for it. Nobody's looking at it. It's because for years and years and years the media have banged on about wanting to support referees and, and offer referees a bit more help. So let's introduce this wonderful system called VAR. Well, I tell you what, we introduce it, and all they do is moan about the application of it. Well, that it, it's there to enforce the laws of the game. And as I say, that that decision is correct in the laws of the game. But if you don't have VAR, that's never given because yeah. it's not picked up. Very true. Very true. And and then what happens then is we have to get these videos, don't we, of Jurgen Klopp shaking his head and laughing. Yeah, <laughs> boring. Really yeah. boring. Same same thing. And I'm not and I don't think I'm, I'm hoping this podcast doesn't always come across as as pro referee because um you know there's other websites and Twitter accounts and X accounts who are very much pro referee. I think I like to think we're a more balanced and we'll come to some of those things in a second but um yeah it was just one of those ones where I, and I agree with what you're saying I was I was surprised at seeing Chris and as, as soon as Chris Cavanaugh's gone over you, you generally you know what the outcome is um which is again it, it's quite you know subjective I guess but but well, on those on those ones, we we didn't necessarily know that because any time it's a subjective offside mm-hmm. decision, so it's a, it's a case of the ball's not been played. It's has that player had an impact on an opponent? Um, those types of judgments, the referee always goes and looks at the monitor. So it, it will never be the VAR 
telling them what the outcome is. It, if it's a subjective call, so the ball's not involved, they're not interfering with play, but they might be interfering with an opponent, line of vision, those types of things, it'll always go to the monitor. Very interesting, Luke. Let's move on now. So you've had a, a football-free weekend, essentially. I have, yeah. From, from yeah. a blowing your whistle perspective. So I've, I've, been, I've been busy this weekend. I've seen, I was going to say, yeah, you've been out and about, haven't you? I have been out and about, doing a bit for the county. Hopefully it's not going to notice, but anyway. Um, so <laughs> Saturday morning, um, oh, I, I know this has got nothing to do with refereeing, but if I get it off my chest, I might feel a bit better about it. Okay. So my poor old car is pretty much dead now. Um, oh. Something to do with a timing belt or something, which is or timing chain or whatever it's called, um, which is very expensive. And when you've got a jalopy, I think it's called, car like mine, it's not worth investing the money it's going to take to repair it to get it fixed. So I had to walk. Um, I walked to the, <laughs> the garage yesterday to drop it off. I walked back home. No, sorry, I didn't walk to the garage because otherwise the car wouldn't have got I was there. Say, I, I drove to the garage, dropped it off. <laughs> I walked home from the garage. Um, and then I walked to Malton College to referee the Northampton Town under-18s girls, women, whatever you want to call them, um, team. And again, right. I've spoken about this in the podcast before. What a lovely bunch of people they are. I I had a spare set of flags. I shouldn't probably mention this from a, a recent referees course. And I gave them to to Cameron, who's the uh, the manager. I said, "There you go. There's some free free flags for you." And um, he was very uh, you know receptive. But there was one incident which really made me laugh during the game. So, um, literally, there was only like three three free kicks in the whole game. It's, a, it's one of these things where, I mean, you're the chairman of the Women's and Girls League, right? And yeah. you've probably seen this before where um, someone's kicked the ball and it's hit someone in the face and they go up and apologise to them like, yeah, like yeah, they yeah. meant yeah. it. Like, yeah. Anyway, so there's a free kick and um, they say, can we have a wall? I went, of course, yeah, of course you can have a wall. <laughs> that's not a problem. And she went, and she went um, where should we put it? And I was like, well, surely that's down to your goalkeeper, not, not down to me. She, she went, no, 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 no. Where should we stand? I was like, um, I said, I'm really sorry, but I'm not used to this. Um, <laughs> spare with me a second. And uh, Mark, uh, you know, marked out the 10 yards. Went, oh, it's here. And she went, oh, thank you. I said, oh, that's all right. You don't have to say angry. It's like, <laughs> oh, literally like, my, my job. My, my, yeah, my head's like, oh, this is totally alien to what I'm, uh, I'm normally yeah. used to. Um, so, yeah, that was good. I went down to watch um, Moulton FC, F- FC Reserves yesterday. At the Stadio de Bunsen Road, and yeah. um, that that was lovely. It was nine nil. Um, was some... that in, was that in an official capacity yes, as yes. observer or Obse- yeah. uh, coaching the coaching the referee? Um, yeah. Even gave him a lift back home after the game. Because he, he, <laughs> I'm not sure that's best practice. He but okay, ca- <laughs> he's over eighteen, by the way. Uh, he didn't have a car, so I said, "Well, I didn't actually drop him home. I dropped him um, at Riverside." So I said, you, "If you walk down by the river." where you're going that, that's lovely it's a lovely walk which I'm sure well, have, you heard, have you heard from him since uh, well it's not my issues of routine is he so <laughs> anyway um, and then so today I was uh, what was this oh yeah I went to see Thomas Chapman this morning at King's Eve oh, yeah. bit chilly bit cold this morning yeah cold this and morning and then yeah. uh, the big one this afternoon was the Molson FC ladies versus Crick Athletic uh, again really a semi-final and both teams just um so respectful to each other. Um, but, you know, a nice weekend of football, no issues. Uh, this morning there was a, there was a bit of argy-bargy a little bit, but, you know, you, you get that in Sunday morning football from time to time. 
yeah, which brings me to a point. It brings me to a point. Actually, it was an interesting point, and, and I said I would mention this on the podcast. Is that I know you, Luke. I've known you a long time now. Um, how many red cards in your career do you think you've had for foul and abusive language or whatever it's called these days? How many do you reckon you've had? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I can't think of any. Which is is really interesting because um, there was a red card at the end of the game today. I'm not going to say why or what the words were said, etc. Because obviously it's only just been happened, and I don't want to prejudice any investigations. But when the referee, I said to the referee, um, you know, could you, is the last minute of the game? Was there any? chance you may have managed to get the situation and um sort it out there and then kind of thing and he told he said well what he said to me i found quite offensive i says well there you go that that's kind of the end of the discussion if you find it offensive i'm not here yeah, to say yeah. i don't i don't i would have managed it or whatever but i'm the same as you there's been very few occasions um Maybe if I've been called any of the C words, which is very, very rare these days, let's be honest. Um I may have I've I've sent a couple of people off for that. Yeah. But is are we being too tolerant of people? Is my question. Yeah, maybe to that you. maybe that's the problem. Maybe maybe we are maybe we're part of the problem. We're creating an issue because we're just letting even if even if it might be deemed as a, a you know, a bit harsh or whatever, we're if we if we let that go, then it, it it soon becomes acceptable, and then what's acceptable, the next level up, suddenly yeah. gets worse and worse, and we we just keep letting it go. Um, mm. Yeah, maybe we are the problem. And then, so that brings me to 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 Bruno, our, our friend. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he's a regular listener to the podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> um, in the game yesterday between Manchester United and Fulham. Um, Again, he tried to referee the game for, for a little bit. Uh, no shock. And uh, let's just say he exaggerated exaggerated a bit of contact. And then that was, I think it was Michael Oliver was the referee. It was Michael Oliver's fault that um, he didn't get a free kick or anything. I, did, I mean, the clip's just embarrassing, isn't it? It's, it's everything that is wrong with football and... Bruno, uh, really. Let's be honest. Um, but I mean, he's not the only one, and he uh, and there's there's plenty of players in the in the Premier League that would have probably maybe not as bad, but done done similar things in terms of rolling around on the floor, and then the moment that the, there's a possibility that your mate can pass you the ball back, just jump to life and uh, and and demand the ball. But yeah, it, it's that is the problem with football. That, yeah. that just. There's no excuse for that. That there should be retrospective action for things like that. Quite how you write that into regulations and and all of that boring stuff. I don't know, but that needs to stop. So, would you say then, um, you'd like if it's an obvious simulation, would you support um, a retrospective red card for that, or or a VAR red card for that? If it's obvious, uh, I I don't think. Well, uh, yeah, I don't think we can kind of go down those. I mean, there, there is there is regulations around deceiving a referee um, and retrospective action, but that, that's generally used when they try and 
win penalties and things like that. And I'm, I, I don't actually know how often that's been used since the introduction of VAR because it got used a bit before VAR. But now that VAR's introduced, it's actually those penalties aren't given now. So what's the point in the in the retrospective action? I, so look, I think I think the whole process needs to be tidied, um, tightened, and possibly expanded to those types of situations because that wouldn't have been a penalty. That was just a free kick on the edge of the box. Mm. Um, and yeah, we need to start sending a message out to these players because like, you know, that, that didn't happen. That didn't happen 20 years ago. It didn't happen 30 years ago, but it's, it happens now. So some things happened for us to get to this point. And what's happened is we've let players get away with it. And probably we've given free kicks for that. Yeah. And that's why they feel the need to do it and they feel entitled to do it. So something needs to change. Now, last week's podcast was, re- again, very successful. Um, and we're still winning the competition, by the way. If you're still interested in a Perefse uh, hoodie, got my hoodie on tonight. Oh, good. Yeah, like that. Um, Looks good. I mean, for those people who are not watching any of the video, um, I am wearing a black hoodie with a Perefse <laughs> logo. On my left, left, my left breast, or oh, just above it. Um, but yeah, what, what was I talking about? <laughs> yeah, so last week's podcast. Last week's podcast. That was the one. So one of the interesting things that came out of that, and and I wrote it down and I posted on on social media about it was um, something we don't talk a lot about is about trends. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So trends where you're seeing, and it's it's really more difficult, I think, for people. Uh, you know, any level below, I would say, National League, really, where you're not getting an observation or a coach report very often. So you might only get two in a season, or you might get three, or, you know, you might get five or six. And what we were talking about last week with Dan was that, you know, these people who um, who are having those trends, if, if, you get, if you were getting observed every week, Luke, what trends do you think would come up in your reports more often than not. I'm not saying every every game, obviously, but more often than not. What what do you think would come up a lot? Um, prob- yeah, probably over management. So you know the 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 willingness to keep a card in the pocket and and have a conversation. Um, that's that's probably the the biggest thing that would that would come across. But you know, potentially taking risks around. Um, that the um, that the amount of fouls I give in in the sense of that I don't give many, so I think that would probably come up um, pitching it, pitching and and where I pitch that that level that threshold of what's a foul, what's not a foul. I think those would probably be the two the two big ones that would come up. But I, I don't think I don't personally I don't think you need you need to have a, observers or assessors or coaches to to pick up on trends. You know, I think I think you can pick up on those things yourself with a little bit of good self-reflection, even without footage and all of that type of stuff. You know what's feeling right and what's feeling wrong and what's causing you problems during a game. And if, you know, things like managing injuries, for example, if, if, you, if you wave the player on too early and, and that causes you a bit of an issue or, you know, you don't manage that drop ball quite right and then a few weeks later the same thing happens, and you, you get that same feeling, you're like, oh, actually, I don't think I managed that quite quite right. Then we should be self-reflecting on that and picking up on those trends in just and and placing just as much value, if not more, on those trends that we're picking up on than other people. That's a really good point. I think if if it, if we flip the question to me, um, my my big thing when I was referring was always positioning. Um, 
always kind of like, and I don't know, it's a big thing for me. When I go and coach a referee now, it's hard. Position is quite hard. I think that's one of the hardest things in terms of like if you're getting in the way of things. I don't know if that's down to, <laughs> to down to fitness, to be fair, but um, you know, it's getting in the way of things. So, and what I was talking to a couple of referees I was uh, watching this week is we have this thing now where a lot of referees are, are, are reactive rather than proactive. So yeah. they're kind of they're standing, watching the game, thinking, oh, I wonder what's going to happen rather than being able to read the game and being in that next position. I've seen all referees this weekend, not me included, by the way, because um, I'm still recovering from that dangerous hamstring injury <laughs> that, uh, that, that I received two weeks ago. Um, but seeing... Um, People are almost watching the game rather than going, well, where's the ball going to go next? Um, any tips on what... Do you have a, like a, a set routine for your positioning? Are you, are, you, are you stepping back a couple of steps? Are you more in front of the ball? What's, I, I, what's your thought process? I think, I think that there's... there's kind of, and, and take this in the, in, in the nicest possible way. I think there's, there's kind of an old school element to that whole proactive... Mm. argument and and that's that's purely because i think where we'd want particularly high potential referees where we'd want them to be is is in a place where they can be reactive because they're quick enough off the mark to be able to be reactive and that's a much better place to be than a referee who's perhaps proactive or trying to be proactive hedging their bets on where they think the ball's going to go moving into a position and then that ball not going there, then them having to change and then they're just reactive anyway. Because also getting ahead of play can cause you issues in terms of interfering with play, players around it, the ball hitting you, all those types of things. So I think actually the reactive approach, working on your speed from a, not necessarily a standing start, but from a, a you know, a slow start and having that explosiveness to be able to follow play once it does go is the best place to be from a positioning point of view. But would that would that be something um so you've got I'm, I'm assuming at your level and you know we've got a cookie coming up and uh and we, we and we 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 recorded this I mean this week we've recorded this bit after we've spoken to cookie but um is that something you would work on in a training regime taking it seriously as a level 3 you know potentially going to 2B is that something you would work on in terms of you've mentioned the word explosive speed or you know was that something you'd work on yeah to be fair it's something I've introduced only in the last couple of seasons Uh, you know when I was coming through level 4 and my first few seasons of level 3 I I was never I was never told I was out of position but I was always told that I was one paced Um, and, and that you know never it never really I never really got marked down for it because I was never out of position because I was always just, I was always moving. And that was that more proactive, trying to be that more proactive, trying to read the game. Oh, where's the ball going next? Making sure I'm in a position to make those decisions. And that was fine. You know, that approach works. But, you know, at level four, level three, you're talking about trying to stand out amongst, you know, at the minute level three, there's about 320 across the country. So you're trying to be, you're trying to be in the top, five ten referees out of 320 if you're just running around one paced um for 90 minutes even if you're in the right positions you're probably not standing out whereas if you can demonstrate that explosive speed mm. then 
yeah, you're in the you're in the right positions, but also you're looking good when you're getting into those positions. Yeah. It stands out more to, and it, it's all it's all aesthetics and it's all probably a little bit kidology, but it just helps to sell that whole performance. Um, and in a game where perhaps not as much is happening, you, you might gain yourself a few brownie points by being able to do that. So yeah, it's something I've worked on. It's something I I train on. You know, things like hill sprints, um, and and you know a bit of leg work in the gym around box jumps and things like that. It all helps with that explosive off the off the start. I mean, explosive speed used to be my middle name when I was. Rec- yeah, I can. Oh, man, I'm sure it was. Um, but it, it's kind of. <laughs> Anyway, big shout out to Dean Dean Martin, who did the NTFA semi-final that I watched this afternoon. Did a good job. Lovely guy. Good. He is one of the nicest guys. Genuinely, I, I've already said this to him. I'm not just... And he, he was selling my my pod, I almost said my podcast. Our podcast oh, there. <laughs> like Ant and Deco split up everybody. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was selling my podcast everywhere, but just one of the nicest guys. And genuinely, so I did the little coaching thing for him. And he got out a piece of paper and he was starting to write things down. I was saying to him, I was like, this is... I like that. I like that. I, I like this a lot. And then I said, oh, I'm going to draw you a football pitch. And you know what he did? Guess. Uh, I, I don't know. Drew it himself? What? No. He had, a, he had a picture of a football pitch in his little wallet thing. No. I am, And he said he got it from refs. I think it was ref stop or something for Christmas from his, from his wife. And I, I was nice. able to talk about corner positioning and stuff like that. And it, 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 it was great. And, you know, big up to him because really nice guy, big listener of the podcast. Dean, keep it going, mate. We and it, are it's, big it's really good. It's really good that you're nice and prepared, Dean. But, um, Wayne, could you not could you not get a, a book with a football pitch on to enhance your, your debriefs and things like that? I don't know. Hey, just a thought. Just no, a thought. Mate, not not criticising your observing mate, skills, mate. But I am a font of knowledge. A font, right? <laughs> anyway, the last couple of things I want to talk Oh, also, um, in my artistic kind of way, I was just thinking, he's got a name where you could reverse it, like you. You could be called Scott Luke, and he could be Martin yeah. Dean. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, he could, yeah brilliant. <laughs> or Lee, Sam- Lee Samuels. Yeah, what's, uh, what's Lloyd, next? Lloyd Aaron. Aaron. Does, that, does that work? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, in all Move seriousness, on. can you cut that bit out? Um, what... We don't swear in this podcast because we were a clean podcast. And I, every week when I put this onto our social media and, and our um, podcast hosting, Spotify, whatever, I have to tick a box that says it's clean. But what yeah. an absolute... Can you do a beep here? A beep show of that. Do you see that offside decision that... Um, happened oh, yeah. The, I think it was Canvey Island against somebody. Canvey Island, yeah. Yeah, and, I did, yeah. Um, Mate, I don't even you could not talk your way out of that. Uh, but but it, it, in, uh, even me as an assistant, I don't think I'd be giving that. And I was terrible as an assistant. It's mind blowing, absolutely mind blowing. So if you haven't watched the clip, basically what happens is um, there's an offside, which is probably not even offside because there's no impact on the on the defender, which is even makes it even worse, I guess. And the defender heads it. Um, whatever, and then they go on and they score a goal, and then the assistant <laughs> puts his flag back up, and even makes it, makes it even worse. The referee goes over and then gives the offside. What on what 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 on earth? What? Yeah, on so earth? yeah, I mean, I don't even. I, I think we just we just need it. to clarify that point that it's the team, 
Mm. The, the defense, the, the the defending team who should have had a defensive free kick for the offside and got one. The defend, the defenders <laughs> won the header. <laughs> yeah, the and got, won it the got header, a free kick. His his attacker has gone down the other end and scored. The referees disallowed the goal to restart with an indirect free kick for offside when they've just scored. A, what? Oh mate, what is going on? That... Uh, I'll be honest. I I know I know we say that we you know we, we said that we're not. And we're not pro referee. We try not to be pro referee on here. We try to just talk about things. But I was I watched that so many times, thinking, well, what were they thinking? Mm. How how have they how have but they arrived at that it, point? And if, I just it, can't think of anything. Uh, you know, again, I am I'm with you on this. But if that had been somebody's first game, so I, when I was at Moulton this afternoon, um, I watched a, a um, an assistant who was on one of the course I did for the adults for the Hen League. Um, yeah, yeah. he was there and then uh, there's a girl called Veronica Lecker I think oh, her yeah. name is yeah, yeah. Um, and hats off to both of them they were excellent now if they'd give that decision and put their flag up and indicate an offside I'd have gone you know what fair enough it's a learning curve but this is yeah. a step three yeah that's step football, three I teach me in Prem that yeah right so even then I, I think the referee uh, the referee I mean they would have gone, you know, thanks for the flag, no impact, or let's just play on. But then to go over and um and and then give the decision, that's it's just I don't know. Well, I just can't so it. yeah, so many things have gone wrong, and look, we don't want to slaughter people, but uh, like you know, yeah, the the assistants the assistants messed up. It's a poor flag, um, to say the least. But then the fail safe is the referee going over and having that conversation, going right, what have we seen? And then at that point, you're just hoping that the referee works it out in his head and goes, well, no, they've the, the team that we're about to give a free kick to have just scored, so why don't we just play the advantage? Um, but that didn't happen, unfortunately. It didn't happen, mate. It didn't happen. But anyway, overall, um, it was bad. <laughs> it was a bad decision. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a once in a career that it will never happen again. We hope not. We hope not. So, in part two, we have got Mr. Thomas Cook. Tom Cook's joining us. Uh, he's a friend of ours, but it's really interesting actually to listen to him from the perspective of going from player to referee, um, and ultimately not being so success- successful as a referee that he's he he got almost chosen or he had to choose to be an assistant, and now it's going really well. Um, so we're gonna you know we're gonna talk to him about that in part two. So stay tuned. For part number two of episode number 28 of For Ref's Sake, thanks for listening to us ranting about that poor old referee. Maybe we could get him as a guest, Luke. You could explain. Yeah, good luck with that after <laughs> after those last couple of minutes. Carrot <laughs> assassinated him. Anyway. I hope he's not a listener. <laughs> oh my goodness me. Imagine that. <laughs> Might get some angry, um, angry direct messages or whatever they're called you know, on the old social media. <laughs> anyway, part... <laughs> coming up stay tuned so welcome back to part number two of for ref's sake episode number 28 of season number two no less and we have gone local this week Luke haven't we we've gone just down the road from the Parkland's massive yeah yeah we've gone Mr. Thomas Cook, don't just book it, Thomas. Cook it, and we've booked you tonight, Thomas. <laughs> oh, I've been God. waiting fifty-nine episodes for that one. Um, welcome along 
to the best refereeing podcast in the UK, apparently. Um, well, the most regular one, let's, let's put it that way. Um, we're here every week. And you're a regular listener, Mr. Cook, aren't you? I am. Well, I was just saying before you uh, before you came on air, I think I've started every podcast. I quite often struggle to get through that first half hour block, but <laughs> the special guests are brilliant. <laughs> I mean, yeah, slaughter the host before we even start. Um, I like I like your style. Um, so welcome to the show. I know we, we, we know each other very well, you and myself and, and Luke as well. Um, so we don't want it to turn into a, a pub chat. We're going to talk about your career and uh, how things have panned out from going from a footballer to a referee and you know it's been an interesting journey you said before we started that you started refereeing or you qualified as a referee I should say quite early on yeah I think as a few people have alluded to it was the kind of eight Monday nights over at Bugbrook Um, my memory is terrible but we had a, a mix of the likes of Rob Page, Pete Nick, Brendan Doherty, um, and, and those folks on there. Couldn't tell you who was on it, but um, yeah, got through pretty early. Same reason most, uh, and a bit of extra cash, which was nice. Um, but had that kind of uh, initial initial thing, I suppose, that a lot of people have in, in terms of balancing the playing with the officiating, you know, doing one Sunday morning, one Sunday afternoon, uh, keeping, keeping fairly busy, to be honest. But uh, yeah, it was uh, thrown in at the deep end, I think, pretty early on. And I remember, I remember one of our first meetings because um, you were a goalkeeper, weren't you? And am I right in thinking you played for Welland Valley? Is that right? Yeah, I started at Gregory Celtic. Uh, we're whipping boys. I think the best result we had in the first season was uh, losing by a single digit. So that was uh, that was a good start to the career. Gave me plenty <laughs> of practice. Um, but yeah, a couple of years there. Ended up moving across to Welland Valley. Um, Ended my youth career at Silby. Uh, stood a bit um, with the under-18s and the reserves. Um, yeah, before heading over stateside and coming back to play for Spencer for a bit. So it was a big money move from from the mighty Celtic to to the to the Valley, cross town. I was I was yeah poached by I'm sure some some listeners might know uh, Mick Watts at the time. Uh, poached me across uh, most of the guys I went to school with. To be honest, were over at Welland Valley, so. Uh, yeah, and they won a lot more, which always helped. What was so, the transfer uh, fee? Was... A couple of Mars bars and a, and a dairy milk or something like that? It's, I think it might have been a, a Milky Way in there as well. It was, uh, <laughs> it was big bucks. <laughs> and um, I remember somebody, I was thinking about this this afternoon because sometimes I do think about this podcast, you know, just turn up and hope for the best. But didn't you have a, um, a really interesting nickname when you were a youngster? Oh God, we were talking about this on the way on the way to the game yesterday. I, I've had a lot of nicknames, um, so I'm not really sure which one you're going with. But um, the the one that's probably most well renowned is uh, I had a very bold round head when I was young. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, it got called Moonhead quite quickly. <laughs> so often many variations of that. Moon Moonaldo was a, a classic. So my 18th birthday, a lot of the lads got me a. A shirt that's I've still got it now, an England shirt with Moonaldo on the back. So, yeah, luckily uh, my head has changed shape and I've grown a bit of hair. I was gonna say I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking at you now, and I can't see anything that re- remotely resembles a moon. No, there are some, there are some uh, damning photographic uh, <laughs> evidences in archives in places. <laughs> so, obviously, like many people who come in our referee uh, referee courses. 
you qualified at a, a young age. Um, so you you were you refereeing and playing at, at the same time as in doing refereeing Saturday mornings and playing Sundays or, or that kind of ilk. Yeah, so I think I I did I've I've done all sorts. So I did the um, what's the Saturday morning, um, you know, kind of really young under sixes and under sevens. What what do they call it? Changed names over the years, but Maybe yeah, something. did a bit of that while playing Sunday afternoons. Um, did a few Sunday mornings, uh, junior stuff. Um, to be honest, the first kind of real football like good level of football I remember doing was the senior youth league you know getting some some initial lines on that in the week um was was great I'd say that's probably my first real sort of recollection of refereeing uh and, and coming through what I thought was starting to get like proper football things like having floodlights you know doing a game under floodlights was a massive thing when you've only done Sunday morning so uh yeah no it was a, it was a good mix of of yeah pretty much everything the county had to offer I think and then, evidently, when you got to, so you had this opportunity, I believe, of moving to America and continuing your playing career. How did, how did that come about, come about? Because, you know, you don't hear a lot of it now. I don't know if it's because of football circles or whatever, but how did you manage to get from, you know, Gregory Celtic, Wellen Valley, Silby, and, you, and then next thing you're playing um, in America? Yeah, I was quite lucky, really. So I went to the boys' school and one of our teachers um, had, had essentially done a similar thing uh, many, many years ago. So uh, we, we had a, a great bunch of opportunities there, a bit of a claim to fame. Our coach at the time was John Brady, who obviously is doing quite well in, in local football now. So um, that was my first experience of John, who managed to get me and a couple of the other guys' uh, trials at you know Northampton, Peterborough and a bunch of the other local clubs so kind of started the ball rolling there and um, so one of the teachers had kind of done something similar so um we, we were pretty fortunate that um that, you know the way it works is when you kind of sixth form here uh you know there's there's exchange programs where you can um essentially go to trial days you get videoed um often scouts actually will fly over you know from america to here to, to have a look at players um, quite a, a big um, export of, of, of players from from here to the US. Um, we held one of those sessions uh, at the boys' school actually, so that was kind of the first entry in, very kind of non-committal. Um, but uh, you know, post that, had a, a couple of interesting conversations with coaches, um, which led to a follow-up trial day at Lillishaw. So we were there. Um, I think we had to drive there something like four in the morning. The first trial started at six. We had a couple of hours in the morning, all videoed in front of 50 or 60 scouts that had come over. Then I kind of afternoons um, in different game formats, a lot of it very kind of scripted. Um, and yeah, ended up, long story short, ended up with a couple of different offers to go out there. Um, to a couple of very random places, one in uh, one in Nebraska and one in North Dakota, um, and was fortunate enough that my uh, my uncle kind of funded me to, to go and have a look at both of those two places, and, and ended up on the on the North Dakota um, bandwagon. So yeah, that was yeah, the start of the start of my more illustrious playing career, I'd I mean, say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they must have had some kind of weird nickname, not like Moonheads, you know, the North Dakota, wherever it was, Moonheads. That'd be a great nickname, but. You know, soccer in America, they always seem, seem to have some kind of like nickname. Every club or every team has to have a nickname, don't they? You know, what was what was the name of the, of the team you were, were with? 
Uh, so I was at the, well, it was Jamestown College when I first joined and then they converted to university. So it became the University of Jamestown and they were called the Jamestown Jimmies. There you go. See? <laughs> that's <laughs> terrible. So oh, I was, that's a, was a Jimmy for four years. <laughs> Being for a Jimmy? <laughs> yeah. So uh, how long were you there for? Uh, well, it's three and a half years in total. So um, American system is... Uh, ironically it's very much based around the athletic side of things so uh, for eligibility for playing you get four years so actually a lot of the degrees are four years as well because uh, you know a lot of people go uh, to play a sport whatever that might be so you actually slow your degree progress down a little bit so you've got all four seasons that you're able to play whatever sport you're playing um mine was a little bit different so soccer football being a full sport so our season if you like was you know, our, our autumn. Um, so basically what I did is I played my four seasons, which, you know, our season would finish in, start in kind of August and finish in November. So it was really, really condensed. Um, and then graduated at, at Christmas after that fourth season. So ended up finishing in, in three and a half years. Um, came back to the UK, I think it literally 10 years ago last month. So so was it big? Is it big over there? Like college soccer, I guess. Is it is it big? Like, do they get crowds to games and stuff like that, or is it a little bit different? Yeah, I mean, we were at a tiny, tiny school in North Dakota. You know, fifteen thousand people in the town, uh, more than a thousand students. So it's very much a student town. Um, the, the, <laughs> they'd only had a soccer team in that in that in that town for something like two or three seasons before we joined. So part of the experience is we were the first international kids there, the first English kids. Um, I mean, the attention that we got on the back of that was was unbelievable, but it, it really was kind of like you'd seen a lot of the American sports movies. You know, it was the first kind of time that this place had seen what decent uh, soccer players or football players could do and, and how entertaining that could make the game and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, we, we, we went on a, a journey with it to the point where, you know, our, our kind of third season, we qualified for the national competition. Uh, we're in the last 16, went down to uh, Birmingham in Alabama to play a, a tournament where there were, you know, proper crowds, thousands of people watching. Um, you, you know, a lot of the games were streamed um, either back home or on kind of local American TV and stuff like that. So, yeah, the, the level was good. The, the training was uh, was a massive level up. I mean, it was it was as you'd expect pro clubs to be here, um, and the following was kind of uh, ever growing. I, I think you know, as we've seen with women's football here in the last kind of five years, it's it's rapidly picked up, and and the same was kind of happening in the US, probably a little bit before we we joined, but we were certainly part of that that time frame, which was which was really cool, really exciting. So, what was the expectation? So, you did your you did your degree, and I'm assuming you did academic stuff alongside you your sports stuff I guess so what was the expectation at the end of that were you expecting to become uh, like a professional footballer or was it just for the experience I don't know what 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 was the out, output do you reckon from your input yeah I mean the great thing about uh, the US is that you you know they call it a student athlete and the student always comes first so you know if you didn't hold up certain grades um, you didn't play you would be suspended and and you know that kind of thing and more so you know a lot of the grades were based on attendance as well which when I say that to people they're like oh you must have had it really easy I said we did have it easy if you turned up for class because you you know you'd get five or ten percent of your grade straight away but you ask most uni students here how often they turn up for class and and they often don't know where it is so you know to have the kind of discipline and commitment i suppose to to turn up regularly be engaged um you know that that was quite a, a big thing and that transitioned into the into the sporting side of things so 
I think in terms of the ambition of it, I probably knew I was never quite good enough to make it as a pro. I mean, I, I got to a really good level when I was out there. And when I came back, I had a, a preseason with Brackley under John Brady when he was there. And Billy Turley was the, the number one. So sat on the bench for them against Peterborough in, in the preseason and bit. So got to a fairly decent level, but was never quite... I think you know I'm, I'm only 5'11 so I was always a little short for a keeper anyway but um yeah never never quite got to the point where I thought I could make out a, a career out of playing um which is I, I guess where I you know I kind of ended up playing uh, at Spencer in UCL Division 1 um as my kind of peak if you like of 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 my adult footballing career back over in the UK. So let's fast forward a little bit then so the, the transition from getting back from America to England and then going into refereeing and obviously playing for Spencer in the interim. Um, how did that come about? Uh, so, uh, I say I came back, I played, I'd played a little bit at Spencer. I knew a lot of the lads from school. So kind of, uh, you know, um, slide back into there pretty quickly. Um, I was very fortunate really, because that season, uh, we, we ended up winning, uh, UCL division one. So, um, I think I must have been what 22, 23 at the time. Um, we had a great set of lads. We'd kind of overachieved. You know, none of the players got paid at that level. Um, even though a lot of the players at other clubs did, it was very much built on the kind of traditional elements of football, which was great. But I think once I got to that point, I knew Spencer were never going to go any further, and I didn't really think I could go much further as a player. I, I could have played UCL Prem, might have been able to play Southern uh, Division One or something, but wouldn't have gone much further. So for me at that point, I was just starting to get back into the refereeing. Um, you know, we were obviously very lucky at the time. People like Nolsey, Ratty, those guys, um, you know, obviously yourself, Wayne, from a more kind of senior coaching perspective. Um, we had a good bunch of people around and, and uh, you know, a lot of the podcasts that I've listened to is funny because a lot of the the younger guys were talking about, you know, people going through very quickly. And, and I was definitely one of those and, and was kind of riding that wave, wave if you like, where the sort of promised the world, I suppose. And, and from a refereeing or, or from a career uh, prospect perspective, refereeing definitely held more opportunity in my view than uh, than playing football did. Um, so, yeah, I made the decision to to stop playing and focus on the refereeing. And I think I was level four at the time Um started ironically refereeing on the UCL uh, against most of the guys that I've been playing with or playing against uh, the year before, which I found massively helped because a lot of them were like, why are you refereeing? Why are you not playing? And, you know, I got a bunch of offers to go back and play, but had the rapport you know they obviously respected me from from the fact that they knew I'd, I'd played at that level and, and done quite well at that level so that was a, a massive boost in terms of my own ability to I think to perform well which ultimately was something that I really struggled with when I went to level three so so obviously that UCL Prem or Div 1 whatever you were reffing at that stage you knew the players they knew that you used to play and things like that so that's a little bit different but do you think that mindset of being an ex-player and transitioning that into a refereeing mindset is is helpful and did it work outside of that circle where people knew that you were a player yeah it it did from a communication perspective and I think also you know we're seeing more and more now um, on this whole belief of what what football expects and you know I I think um, I don't know how much of this we're allowed to share, but I'll, I'll go for it anyway. Um, we've just, I just had a quick look through some of the videos that we've we've had from the LMS last last week, and the PGMOL's guidance on the West Brom manager's red card is that that was wrong, because football expected a yellow card because the impact on the game was actually minimal. So to send somebody off after a minute for essentially a misjudgment of positioning 
an impact um there's there's more of a there's more of a, a kind of free range probably a bit too loose but there's there's more of an expectation of delivering what football expects with an appreciation of what law is is asking you to do and i think for me when i was transitioning from playing to refereeing i was very much on the side of understanding and being empathetic with the players talking to them overly man managing you know really delivering what football and the the environment expected probably for me to get a pat on the back from the players at the end which didn't always land very well with the observers to be honest um, and that was a, a a transitional period that i had to to kind of adapt to pretty quickly because at that time we didn't have a lot of what we have now which is holistic approach to to the individual and to refereeing it was i felt it was probably a bit more black and white and and that's not how I think all three of us in, you know, here would, would no, choose to referee necessarily. You've made a really good point. And I've seen, obviously, I've been refereeing probably well, longer than you two. And you've you've gone from this kind of blood and thunder football to everyone's getting stuck into each other and they all shake hands at the end or whatever. And to, to now, I think it's much more of a, um, a technical game where everybody wants everything. So even if you've refereed or played before and... They still don't. Some of them don't appreciate the fact that you're trying to manage a game. And you see, Luke, you're 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 a good example of this. You're quite old school in your approach to refereeing. In terms of, you allow a lot to go. Uh, you, you know, you let a lot go. Whereas now, there's a lot of players. That, I think most players these days try and get each other booked, cautions, or sent off or whatever, rather than um, you know accept that it's part of the game. Do, do you know what I mean when I come when I come when I'm saying that? Yeah, absolutely. But I think we're also we can also cause that problem ourselves by mm. I don't want to use the the phrase pandering to to the players, but I yeah. can't think of another phrase to use by pandering to that and and just giving those like we've talked about the soft free kicks or as as we've done a, a little bit to death the whole safe refereeing scenario. Oh, a, a left back goes down under a tiny bit of contact. Well, it's safe to give the defensive free kick. You know, I think we we can as referees, we can kind of pander to that situation and create a rod for our own backs uh, a little bit when it comes to those types of decisions. Um, and I think, you know, if if you referee a game and you let a few things go in the first 10, 15 minutes, generally the players know where they stand and, and you, you get a, a, a decent game of football out of it, I think. It's interesting because um, people like... So, you, you know, when referees retire these days, you've got, you know, our Howard Webb's... Um, like the big boss, I guess, and you've got other people who've refereed at a high level who stayed within the game. But then you get people like Mark Halsey, for example, who was a, a massive advocate of not giving too much and being an ex-player, ironically a goalkeeper, I believe, like you are, were cookie. Um, you know, he he doesn't fit into the modern game of development of referees anymore because I don't think that's what people in the game at the refereeing levels, expect any more of that, you know, do you know what I mean? Well, I don't know about that, and I'm going to ask Cookie here, because uh, Cookie, you've worked with Humpo a lot more than I have. Um, Andy Humphreys, sorry, I've, I've dropped into uh, <laughs> familiar territory. Uh, <laughs> nicknames. Andy Humphreys, who obviously we had on um, however many episodes it was, ago. Um, but 2A referee, and I think the one time I've worked with him this season, I think he lets, he seems to let quite a lot go for that level of football. And like I say, I've not run the line on the national league for a long time and I've only done one or two fourth men's, but from what I remember, um, 
Humpo seems to to like that approach. I don't know what your experience is with other other two A's and and how that compares. No, it does, and and I think yeah, not just saying this because I'm sure he'll listen, but I, I think my experience is is probably one of the best that I've seen this year, and you know that's no mean feat considering the level the guys are at now. They to a T are, are really really good and really sharp, and the level that you know we're operating at, considering it's the fifth division, is pretty incredible to be honest but I think it comes to the the point of you know what what the the PGMOL what the FA what you know again this holistic view of football coming together and what they're expecting now you know really looking at the intention of the players not expecting the referees to be the sole judge of what the intention is but you know if we take like penalty examples now what and, and I, I know you guys showed that clip last week which I was obviously fortunate enough to be five yards away from there are years before where you just flagged that and it's an easy one. It was subsequently backed by the observer with credit for, you know, keeping in tune with how the referee was refereeing, which was to let an awful lot go. Um, and I think the the key kind of questions and parameters that we're coming down to now are what's the atten- intention of the attacker in that situation? Um, what's the intention of the defender? And ultimately, what's the consequence? And, and the, the impact of, you know, an attacker, if it is to try and, you know, uh, fairly go in, win the ball and and advance play and go and score whatever he's doing. If the defender's intention is to, you know, buy something soft and cheap because of the position of the play or because of whatever, or if you flip it and the attacker's intention is to leave a leg into the defender to initiate contact, whereas the defender's intention is to stay still and try and avoid the contact. On balance, that's how we're being asked to give decisions now. Um, So, albeit we're not be careful how I say it we're not being asked to judge the intention of a player we are being asked to consider the intentions of the two moving parts of an equation and on balance give what we feel is is right for that circumstance and there was another one yesterday I don't know if you may have already discussed it or not but the the, the Bruno Fernandes one is is absolutely horrendous from yesterday it's embarrassing and, and there is no retrospective action for that but there wasn't a foul given and, and I think the intention thing fits quite well into that um so yeah it, it's weird we're going on these these cycles in football where the norm is now to give a lot less and, and let people get on with it and then try and retrain that behavior to to make the game more kind of free-flowing and for me at least enjoyable see I think that's that I, I love that approach I think that's brilliant but what do you think about the arguments around being able to or the arguments about a lack of consistency around decision making because of that approach I think when you, whenever you have human beings involved, it's always going to be inconsistent. That's the nature of it. You're not having the same people going out doing the same thing every week. I think you've said that a number of times, Luke. Um, and I think layered onto that is the fact that regulations, laws, um, expectations are changing on a yearly basis. They never used to. You had a laws of the game and that was it. Um, all of these different variations now mean that you're asking different people to interpret things in different ways in different scenarios and give the same decision. It's never going to happen. So. Um, for me, it, it comes down to the fact that unless you want to take human variants out of the game completely and take humans away, which I actually think might happen at some point with assistance, I think they may become more kind of rugby-like and, and just deliver certain aspects that aren't offsides, for example, because cameras can do that. Um, you know, there'll, there'll come a point where how, how far is too far um, on that consistency front. Yeah, but again, that's easy. I think it's easier in rugby because of it's it's. I mean, apart from for me and Luke, it's fairly clear to people who know rugby 
what's right and what's, what's wrong. I mean, I haven't got a clue what's going on most of the time. Um, but in that football, you're, you're always going to get that subjectivity of... I mean, we looked at a clip, didn't we, in that, on um, our referee's course last week of the the penalty that was given in the game that you were um, assistant on. And some people were saying, well, he's looked for that contact and other people are going, but it's still a foul. And, you know, you're going to have that kind of um, judgment or, you know, debate all the time. That's, you know, and we've been saying for a long time that there's lots and lots of social media output now where you can just have these discussions, which is great for referees courses because everybody can go and look and see and, and, and have their have their input. But what people who are not involved with refereeing don't see is all this kind of conversation about what's right and what's wrong. No one nobody from Match of the Day is coming out today and going, Well, Bruno Fernandez was embarrassing from what he's done. Um no one's going, Well, I understand and we we spoke about the offside decision from the um the Carabao Cup um earlier. No one's going, Well, why why is that decision come about? Because it's not it doesn't sell, does it? Football in the media is about selling scandal, and it's better to sell scandal than see reason. Yeah, it definitely is, and you know, I'm I'm one of those people that you know I've actively tried to come off of social media. I try and distance myself from a lot of that stuff because, you know, I I do feel like everything is is just a, about exactly that. It's trying to you know get headlines and and things, and the irony of that is, uh, I, I know I sent you the. Um, the kind of uh, explanation of the Sheffield United challenge, I think it was last week, where they described the challenge as a reckless challenge, and yeah. I think he's made contact with a, you know, his knee and and gone gone crazy, like, you know, and it's it's a horror challenge. So I, I think it's funny because you have misinformation in situations like that, yet you have the opposite side of it where there's this massive you know deal about the smallest things where people are trying to create more of a fraud than there actually is. So. Anyway, very, we've lost a bit of track. Luke, we've lost a bit of track here. I was about to say that. Very unlike <laughs> us. We've gone massively, massively off-piste. We have. Because, um, anyway, let's move back to you, Cookie. So you've, you, you're level four. How long were you level four for? Um, I'm going to say well, two, or, two or three years. No, <laughs> not, not too long. It was quite, yeah, quite a quick, quick no, jump. I was going to say, you definitely went through quick. Yeah. So I went six to four. Uh, I think I did. Yeah, probably two years at four um, after I'd stopped playing. Um, and then, uh, yeah, got promoted in my second year. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Dan, Dan was talking last week about this, um, the difference between four and three. Did you find a massive difference for yourself going from, you know, you refereeing, you know, Wellington Town Cup now to um, you could be doing, like you've been doing a season with Leamington's where you've got 150 people to... A thousand plus. What did you feel under pressure? Did you feel that um, you know it was a much more difficult thing? Did you feel kind of? And Jamie Stevenson sent me a message in the week, actually, about how he felt in his first game. Was like, and we talked about this imposter syndrome. Was like, you you don't feel like you deserve to be there. But I said to him, you've done all the hard work. You've done the hard work to get there. You you deserve to be there. Did you feel any of that? Um, I felt like I deserved to be there and I felt I was good enough to be there. I just didn't, I think the thing that was probably most prominent for me is that I'd come off of a league that I'd played in, you know, I'd, I'd where, you know, I knew all of the players, I knew a lot of the gaffers, I had a lot of respect, you know, club marks always not an issue for me from that perspective. 
and to be frank, like knew most of the local observers really well, was quite well connected. So you go from knowing absolutely everyone and everything to knowing absolutely no one and nothing. I don't think the don't think there's a massive jump in quality. I don't think there's a massive jump in you know the grounds and things. You know there are some really good ones, but there are the majority that are not massively different. I, I didn't find. So it was more the the environment I was in in terms of you feel like you're starting from scratch you all of a sudden go from this local pathway that you you've created a lot of relationships within to basically being thrown into a completely unknown environment in terms of the people the secretaries the observers the players and you're having to start from from zero i think that was the toughest bit for me but did you change your approach at all because i know you and you and you were happy to talk about this it didn't go particularly well for you at, at level three as a referee did it what what do you think looking back now with the experience you've got of life and things and and what have you what do you think was the issue was there an issue or was it something different um i, I think i i i wasn't adaptable enough ultimately um you know i i was i was a fairly fit lad i you know i was in good nick i got around the pitch well but ultimately i you know, I, I tried to referee it like I refereed at level four, which was to be really pally, really friendly, overly man-manage. Um, and I think to a T, every single bad mark or bit of feedback that I got was that, you know, you missed a caution. It's just a caution. You didn't do it. Why didn't you do it? You know, or you didn't do this or you didn't do that. And it, it was just stuff that was just easy, simple stuff to do. If you just go out and referee a game of football, like you should referee a game of football. But, you know, I'd done so well by leveraging those relationships um and being able to manage my way through things that when you get onto a level where it's it's a bit more clear cut if it's a yellow it's a yellow if it's not it's not you, there's not as much room and, and again this was kind of what seven eight years ago so there wasn't as much room for sort of personality and management at that level i just was stubborn and refused to change my ways and you know at, at that level yeah you get your first year free but ultimately after that you're you know you, you're kind of stuck if you have a bad season you you're kicked off i think a lot of people a lot of friends who were involved in football, you know, who are fairly interested in refereeing as well, they don't realise how cutthroat it is. You know, once you've had that first kind of acclimatisation year, if you're in the bottom 10% or the bottom 15% or whatever it is, you get kicked off and you're starting again. Um, it, it's that brutal. Um, and, and so for me, yeah, it was just and the last game I did, I'll never forget it. I think the assistants flagged two red cards for me. And ultimately, the assistants got credit and the observer said they were two red cards. I wasn't going to give either of them, you know, to be completely honest. I thought one of them was a high foot that the strike was a bit unlucky with. Um, and I thought the other one, you could probably get away with the yellow for potential dogs over because of where the ball was going and stuff like that. Um, so that probably just summed up me as, as a referee at that level. You know, I, I didn't really take control of it. I didn't really take ownership of it. I uh, probably, yeah, just wasn't quite adaptable enough to... Um, to understand what the needs were at that level. And there was the odd occasion where, you know, Barton Rovers and the like, where relationships were quite good and that was helpful. But the majority of times, you know, it, it kind of left me with uh, with probably more egg on my face than it than it gave me credit. So, and But you didn't at any point feel that during those two seasons you had at level three, that wasn't something that you'd picked up on in your self-reflections or anything? I think I also had a bit of stubbornness about me from the perspective of, so when I was, I, when I was going into my second season at level four, I'd never been part of core. I'd never really had that sort of national level of support and been picked as kind of one of those 
high performing ones to watch. And I, the, I think with about three games left in my level four season when I was first, you know, first or second on the list, I got a note saying from the FA saying, oh, we want to invite you on to core for the end <laughs> of the season. And, you know, so I had maybe two months of being on core and then you go to level three and then you got remo- removed again. Right. Yeah. So yeah. so I, I then didn't have that support network in place again. And I think we we're a bit short on people in Northamptonshire and around our area once you get to that level you know it's only been quite recently like from a system perspective obviously myself and Rob you've got you know Andy now obviously yourself Luke has a couple of others and you've also got you know obviously the likes of Andy um Andy Wilmer you've got Bertie you've got Dean you've got those those kind of guys um but we're, we're quite short on I think support and, and real kind of wraparound once you get beyond a four in the county and and I think for me as a three I kind of had that like, oh, you know, the FA still don't want me on core, so I'm just going to go out and do it my own way type thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it bit me in the ass, like ultimately, because I, I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't perform well enough, and that was something that I took. It has really helped me in in what I'm doing now as an assistant, but but it was quite hard at the time. I think the reason the reason I asked that is is because I I'm very similar. I I overmanage far too many situations, but um. I, it's got to the point where I I put it in my pre-match now because you know I'm big on I'm big on teamwork. I think level three is massively about a team performance because you need those two assistants to help you out in certain situations. I I, I build it into the pre-match. I say, look, don't don't let me overmanage. If it looks like I'm overmanaging a situation, just give me a subtle buzz or or something that can trigger me because I'm I'm with you I will default to over management mode I will I'd far rather keep a card in my pocket than get a card out but if there's an expectation why why should we why should we disappoint so I'd like to try and build that in um to the to the pre-match just something subtle that they can do to nudge me out of that that mode because I think I think it's a really difficult mindset to get out of and I've, I've struggled for the last few seasons of keeping not keeping my cards in my pocket as much as I would have perhaps liked to. So anyway, I mean, after that self-reflection for, for, from everybody, it's <laughs> you know, got a bit, a bit upbeat. So you moved into this special specialist assistant pathway. Was that an intention or was that um, a necessity to stay at a level you wanted to be at? No, the, I mean, the irony for me is I, I thought my personality and management skills were a real strength. So, you know, I, if I said I was going to be better at anything, it probably would have been refereeing, not as an assistant. But um, ultimately, I didn't have the choice because, you know, I was North and South assistant referee, um, obviously got removed as a referee. I didn't really want to go back to level four. So um, it was at a time where I had a, a lot of work, travel and work stress as well. So to be quite honest, you know, the assistant referee path was you know there's a lot less to do put it that way I wouldn't say a lot less expectation but there's a lot less in terms of management of the game you know you're there to support the referee and stuff like that so the job is much simpler in a lot of ways because you're told where to be at what time to be there you go out you're mainly just you know get your offsides right support the referee go home type thing and you know there's obviously all the training and the bits in between but um, yeah, there was there was an element of that in terms of it being a better fit for my life at the time as well, which was which was helpful. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't have necessarily chosen that path, and I wouldn't have thought I'd have been better at that path. Um, but in hindsight, it's yeah, it's turned out to to be all right. So I mean, it's quite interesting because you know people like um, 
and we were talking to Dan last week and he was a TV referee in which let's be honest all three of us would bite his hand off right now to to, to, to be that you, you look at Bertie who was um, like 2B I don't think was around in those days but he was a, a conference referee or whatever it was called in those days as well and he parked that to one side and obviously he's had a very successful career um, whereas you've you've kind of fell into it and I mean we've we've been quite negative in some points about, you, about your career you, you, you've had a successful career let's get it out there because you you know, you're doing really well at the moment and things are looking up. Um, are you enjoying being an assistant now? Um, you know, you've we talked about this last week. You had the, the 23-point game last week, first versus second. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, do you enjoy do you enjoy doing that? Is it Does it fit in with your work-life balance? I know you've got a, a successful career. I mean, you've got a Tesla, for God's sake, as you were telling me last week. And... Uh, <laughs> Um, does that fit in with what, what you want to do? How you feel yourself going forward? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a mental transition. And, you know, for me, everyone's always like, oh, surely you'd much rather be a referee. And I actually wouldn't. You know, I, I really love assistant refereeing at the moment. I, I've been able to focus on the skill set that's required to be an assistant referee. It's different training. It's different completely different approach to a game in, in a lot of ways compared to, you know, if you're the, the, the man or the woman in the middle. So from from that respect, I, I feel I feel it's a lot a lot simpler and I'm enjoying it a lot more because of that. And I think the biggest change for me, re- regardless of what you're doing, is it also, you know, the 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 approach to the expectation at each of these levels, whether it be four three, two A, two B, you know, specialist assistant, whatever it might be. With the, the introduction of cameras and social media at so many levels, and I was talking about this last week, the expectation on performance levels has gone through the roof. And, you know, I openly admit last year I was in the, you know, in the bottom five as an assistant referee. So if it wasn't my first year, I could have easily been kicked off that as well. Um, things have changed this year, but my approach has changed massively too. But I, I think there's probably been a consistent theme of me under, you know, under preparing year in year out for the level of football that we're officiating on and whether it be you know a level three game where you might have a couple of thousand people there now but you know being streamed you know uh, to all kinds of social media platforms and what have you or you know if you're going out uh, yesterday at south end was six six and a half thousand the the expectation on the officials is so high now it really really is that you almost have to think of yourself and the game that you're on as a level or two below what it probably feels on. Oh, sorry, the, the game is a level or two above what it feels on the day because, you know, the, the exposure that we're under now is is just massive. Considering 10 years ago, you'd never dream of having a camera at level three game of football. You know, it's it's, it's really taken huge strides. And I, I think that's an area where referees don't necessarily get enough credit is how quickly we've had to get better. Um to the level that we're at. I mean, you know, I'm on the fifth division of English football and the average crowds are higher than most of the European, you know, top divisions. It is pretty, it's pretty monumental, the, the kind of pressure that we're going out and, uh, and performing under. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I, I enjoy it a lot now. It's, I uh, say for me, it, it fits really well with what I'm, what I'm doing and, and also have kind of balanced out my work life to enable me to be more committed to the football side of things as well, because, 
um, yeah, I mean, it's probably 20 hours a week by the time you've done a game and you've trained three or four times a week and you've done your, you know, your learning systems and debriefs and, and everything else. Um, it, it's it's not just rock up on a Saturday and do a job and go home. And it, it's, it's interesting because it? I think a lot of people uh, that are probably outside of that level of football look at look at the assistant referee pathway and go, well, it's just a, it's just a quicker route to the top, isn't it? So, you know, it's, it's, it's almost the easy route for anyone that wants to get to the top. I mean, I've, I, as we've talked about on this podcast, I've, I've run the line on the national league. I, I can assure you it's not an easy route to the top. Uh, it's as, as you've talked about, you know, the expectation, um, the, the standard of the observations, one wrong decision, and that's almost season over, and that's one wrong decision across the context of a season. Um, how how do you find that pressure, that level of pressure? Um, yeah, it, it's it's tough, and it obviously varies. I, you know, I, uh, Wayne's alluded. You know, the season's going well for me this year, so it's a different pressure in that I've got something to lose now. Whereas this time last year, I had nothing to lose and everything to gain. So it obviously depends on where you're at, but. You know, I, I think there are some issues with the system still there in that one mistake for us does does ruin our season. And so, you know, we are literally going out week in, week out with the expectation that we should be putting in not far off a perfect performance. You know, we've, we've even got, as I'm sure you'll know, Luke, you know, the um, VAR equivalent technology now for evaluating our KMI decisions. So for all intensive purposes, we're being, you know, evaluated to the same standard as the you know, as the top guys in the country. Um, and, and that pushes standards to get better and better and better, which is great for the game and great for us. But it means that the standard of refereeing and assistant refereeing now, considering we're, you know, I think there's 90 assistant referees in our group at the moment, they're all great. They're all brilliant at, at what they do. There, there aren't any bad ones, really. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just driving standards through the roof, which say from a football perspective is brilliant but it certainly isn't a, a fast track <laughs> you know absolutely and that's the other thing about it being a, an easier route is actually it, most most decisions an assistant referee is going to make are going to be factual onside or offside and like you say they've they've introduced the the technology on onto your videos now so that they can they can say as definitively as they possibly could whether you're right or wrong whereas if you're the referee at 2a for example a lot of the decisions you're making are subjective. Is it a penalty? Is it not a penalty? Is it a yellow card? Is it a red card? You could probably work on an observer in terms of their interpretation of that situation and potentially work it in your favour to sway them to, to back you rather than not. Whereas you guys, well, they're on or they're off. Like, What, what are you meant to do? Yeah, and uh, you know, in, in some ways, in, this will be seen hopefully in the next couple of years, but... Uh, what people generally say now is that actually, you know, difference between the National League guys and the League One, League Two, even, you know, pushing on to the championship guys, there isn't a great deal of difference because of the standards that are coming in at such a, so, uh, I say a low level, it's not a low level, but lower down the pyramid. So hopefully that just sets you up for success moving forwards, um, which is obviously what, what the FA and the PGMO want is they want a, a larger pool of people that can come in and, and do a job, which is which is great. And also aids what we said earlier about the consistency element. But you know, it, it's you're right. For an assistant referee, it, it does remain pretty black and white, and we you get it right or you get it wrong, and you live and buy, live and die by that. Um, which again, for for me, is it's weird. It's never something that I thought would be more my bag. But to be honest, knowing the simplicity that you go into a game, if you stay in position and you get your decisions right, you get rewarded for it. 
pretty clearly and if you get one wrong you don't like for me that that clarity has really helped me just simplify my game and approach to to games um and and has aided that enjoyment piece for sure so um the final question for me before luke this is a developmental question who's more handsome you or rob evans (laughs) It's got to be Rob Evans. I do have a picture of him and I in the shower. I think it was back at Biggleswade or somewhere. Um, okay. Not sure we're able to post that on social media. With us no, I've, I've seen that picture. I'm yeah. sure it's. I'm sure it's Kidlington. Could be Kidlington. <laughs> yeah, it might well be. I've seen that picture because it's my screensaver. Luke, <laughs> <laughs> go on. Developmental question incoming. This is like so a, this you... is like a regular feature now. And it yeah, never it was well, never meant to I be. Mean, look, if I let um, you speak. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can I go? <laughs> Test one, two, one, two. Right. So you've talked you've talked a lot about um your approach to games changing this season and obviously you talked how last season didn't go particularly well and, and where you finished up and things like that. This season's obviously going going well for you. Um what did that what what did that reflection look like? What and, and how did you arrive at the changes that you've that you've made this season that have currently at this moment working out for you uh it came to it came to a simple point of i'm giving an awful lot to this and by underperforming you know i'm not doing myself justice so if i don't want to take it seriously don't do it prop like don't do it at all because it's too good of a level for you just to rock up and mess about so once i'd kind of agreed that yes i do want to carry on doing it um, and I want to take it seriously. What does that look like? So there's a couple of simple things for me, like, you know, we're pretty forced in terms of fitness and body fat and stuff like that, which I know body fat's likely going to be out for next year, but we're pretty scripted on that kind of things. But for me, it was like, I don't drink the day before a game now, um, you know, proper nutrition on, on the day of a game, proper supplementing for, you know, protein shakes, all that kind of stuff. Um, day after a game, I was, you know, in the gym this morning, half eight, listening to the podcast uh, last week, so it's great. Um, but, you know, getting on the bike for half an hour to do a proper recovery session, um, being a bit more organised with, with closed dates, making sure that I'm doing my learning management system stuff on a weekly basis. So we're seeing all of the mistakes or good practices that are happening and, and learning from them on a weekly basis. And as sad as it sounds, you know, having a look at IFAB now and then to make sure that knowledge and laws of the game's up to date because, you know, I, openly say it. there was one a couple of weeks ago where referee had basically uh, stopped the play while the ball was in the keeper's hands um because the ball was flat gave the ball back to the keeper and just carried on um you know incorrect in law national league game that's on learning management system for the whole world to see now that's something that i should have i felt at the time there was something wrong but didn't say anything so it's, it's little bits like that again it's just doing the level that you're at justice plus a bit more because Again, the level of, of officiating at every level, despite what I think most people in football probably think, is massively improving uh, year in, year out. So, um, yeah, just taking it a bit more seriously. Well done, Luke. That was, that was a good question, by the way, because um, I, I thought about that about 20 minutes ago when uh, when you talked about your, your kind of adaptability. And it's really, you know, joking aside, it's a really important point where you've just said it, even at whatever you're at, if you're going to do it properly, you've got to do it seriously. And, and I think, you know, there's referees amongst us, probably me included, who never did it, t- who did take it that seriously. Um, they still treat it as a hobby. Your role now is not a hobby. As you've just said, there's six and a half thousand people there. You can't just rock up and go, um, I'm just going to turn up. Because it, 
nothing to do with refereeing, but I was I read something on the BBC yesterday about Ben. I think his name is Ben Earl. He plays rugby for England, and they did like a thing on him on um, on the on the website about what is it, you know the thing where you go who's the who's the the joker in the in the team and who's the um, I don't know who, who has the worst taste in music and all that kind of business. And one of the things that he said was that on a, on a match day, bearing in mind that yesterday they played at five o'clock, he never eats before a game. And I was like, that's that's crazy. What I mean, sport? I mean, you're a bit into sports science, might you? But that doesn't make any sense, does it? No, I read the same article, and I think people have their own quirks, don't they, mm. in terms of what helps them psychologically prepare for something versus what's physiologically right for them. So yeah, there's a little bit of there's a little bit of uh, of room for flexibility there. But yeah, you hear stories like that from you know the elite of the elite, and you think, well, should it matter? And, and I think that's a great point in terms of finding what works for you. And and I say for me, um, what's worked for me is having that focus and and having that discipline, which which I probably haven't had before. So. Um, yeah, whatever that looks like for you as an individual, um, figure it out and, and stick with it. Right, Luke. We've done it again where we, we've gone 50 minutes in. Yeah. I oh, mean, wow. This is a, 50 minutes? A long, this is a long one. Oh, um, Cookie, you know how much we all adore you and how beautiful you are. And you're welcome onto this podcast anytime. Um, one of the best gingers in the county. I mean, it's you... Ste- steady, Luke. One of many. <laughs> Ollie Mackey, Humphreys, and others. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're ginger, yeah. just put your hand and like the podcast, and you'll be right. But you no, know, thanks, thanks for joining us. Um, I've got a picture of you. If you get your gaming headset on, I'm assuming you're going to play a bit of Call of Duty or Fortnite after this. And uh, I, I hope you you win. Do you win? On Call of Duty in Fortnite? I don't know. Yeah, look, stop, stop knocking the headset. Good sound quality is good for the podcast. We're happy. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's, no, he's no Mick Matthews or um, Gary Caps, is he? No. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, mate. And uh, wishing you the best of luck for the rest of this season and uh, going forward. And uh, I want some Football League tickets next season. All the best. <laughs> Luke, you can edit that bit out because you're good at that. So Unbelievable. <laughs> I'm still recording, by the way, so don't say anything rude. Thank you, Thomas. Thanks, guys. I will uh, probably catch you in the week. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Can't say that. <laughs> oh, goodness me. Come now. So bye-bye. <laughs> so, welcome back to the final part of For Ref's Sake, episode number 28. A very interesting chat there with Mr. Thomas Cook. I know he's one of our friends, uh, Luke. But uh, anything from that interview surprise you, or because we don't really talk when we when we talk and meet up and stuff, we don't talk. I don't know about refereeing in that in that kind of sense where people have ultimately um, not achieved what they wanted to. So I'm sure, as as he said in the interview, that he wanted to be a a, a referee. At, um, you know. A, the upper echelons of football, but it, it, as it transpired, he didn't have an opportunity for, for whatever reason that like he said in the interview, really. Yeah, I, I, know, I didn't know that, you know, he, he saw himself going down the referee pathway initially. I just assumed that 
because he'd found himself in this position that he was he was always keen on the assistant referee pathway. So you know, I think uh, being that that element of refereeing is one that we we don't talk about enough. You know, that dealing with disappointment, whether it's being at the bottom end of the merit table and and getting yourself kicked off, or being at the top end but maybe not quite high enough and missing out on promotion or whatever, dealing with that disappointment each season can can be difficult and I think it's probably something we need to focus on a little bit. Another thing that came out of um, my afternoon at Moulton FC this afternoon and something I didn't know and I don't know if you know this or not uh, from a, a women's and girls perspective is that um, next season the three W's so that's the kind of level that the Cobblers and the Cobblers development yeah. team play at. Um, the referees now are having to do the fitness test were you aware? Uh, I wasn't, no. So it's the same um, same fitness test as a level four. So it's 75 metres, 25 metres, 40 times, um, 20, is it 22 seconds? No, 17 seconds. 17 seconds and then... 17 seconds for the 75 metres, 22 second recovery. So, and then if, they, if they're not able to do that, then they're, they're reclassified as a 3WAR. So you can only be an assistant on that level. Uh, okay. That's a, that's a massive game changer for a lot of people, I think. Yeah, it is. But I think it speaks volumes for the amount of people that are going through the women's pathway. I think if they if they feel confident in numbers that they're going to get games covered with people that are passing the test, then that's, you know, that's something that's going to, in their eyes, improve standards, I guess. Oh. Absolutely, I'm not. I'm not negative about that whatsoever. I think it's a good thing, um, because I think sometimes people may feel that the women's pathway is an easier option. But you know, by having these parameters, I guess, put in place, it, everyone's got to think. Well, actually, now if I want to go to the next level, I've really got to up my game. And and as we said, with cookie, really, it's it's not it's the and he spoke about the like, kind of holistic approach, but it's not about that. It's about being able to put in that effort and knowing actually, because uh, if you want to, I guess if you want to get to three W now, the next thing you want to do is go up the next level. So you don't, rather than going, oh, I just want to get to three W and, and do that. They want people who want to progress through the system, which I think is a really good, good idea. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's, like we said to Cookie, the the phrase of oh, it's a, that that pathway is the the easy option or a quick route to the top or you know whatever some of these conversations that you have are, I think all of that narrative is entirely unhelpful. It's like well the only pathway that you should be taking is male pathway referee. No, why 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 should that be the case? We need assistant referees in the male pathway. We need we need officials in the female pathway. We need football officials. Every you know it doesn't matter what pathway people choose to go down. It, they shouldn't be seen as trying to take the easy route. They're just doing something they enjoy. And if people enjoy doing female football and they want to progress through the ranks, then absolutely they should be able to do that. But the female game needs to safeguard itself in terms of the the playing standards going through the roof. It's it, you know it's it's so much better than it used to be. Um, so as as Cookie alluded to, the official standard needs to keep rising as well. And and it's it's happened in the male game as as we talked about with Cookie, and it continues to happen in the male game. And I, I guess that's that's what they're trying to achieve with these changes in the female game. Keep pushing those standards up and um and see where we can get to. Could not agree more. Um, I know we we did it. We we spoke to a few WhatsApps earlier. 
Um, and I was talking today um, at the NTFA semi-final, and we've got a guest coming up in the next few weeks who's involved rather than the refereeing side from the female perspective of of football. And, and she's been involved with, I think she started in Malton Ladies, she said, 25 years ago. Now, and, and she, one of the big things that she wants to talk about is uh, the perception and the application of referees when they do men's football to women's football and how they, they kind of change their persona and change their, I don't know, the way they apply the laws of the game, I guess. Um, and, I, and I said to her quite openly, and that's why I, I messaged Harley earlier, saying, when did I referee the, the Women's Cup final at the NFA? And I think it was, she said it was 2016, which is you know seven, eight years ago now. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't... I, I, you go into that mindset of, is that game different? Am I, how is... Is it technically different? It, am I going to give because it, you, in in your mindset you put, you may be thinking, well they're they're female so I've got to give everything any contact's almost a foul and I don't know some people in the in the female game like that and some people don't. Um, and maybe this is for, you know normally at the end of the, uh, of this we don't talk for more than two minutes or so. Maybe that's for another time. But do you, really quickly do you do you do you find that with refereeing or have you got experience of that? What do you think? I, I think if you take the just you know take the female thing out of it, it you know if we if we any any game's different and if I was to go and referee a Southern League Prem game on a Saturday and then go and referee on the Nen League on a on a Sunday morning, I'd referee those games very differently. And I don't I don't think I, I don't think we need to shy away from that fact. Mm. Th- those two levels of game, those two types of games, require very different refereeing, and yeah. whether that's whether that you know whether you throw in the 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 female pathway into that or whatever yeah. each each game has different expectations and yeah it'd be interesting to hear her thoughts on how people are pitching that and uh yeah so she also took a picture of the uh i showed her my hoodie which you can still win <laughs> oh, by gosh. the way and she was uh she took a picture of the podcast and she was uh very excited to come on she wants she's she, she was quite forthright with her uh, opinions and stuff which i said that's exactly what we need because you know, as much as you're involved in, in women's football and Harley is and what have you, it's good to hear from the actual clubs about what they feel and what they think. And, you know, that's why we do this podcast, so we get opinions across. Um, yeah, so thank you once again for join, joining us. You, you you all keep listening to us, and which is the reason we do it. Otherwise, we wouldn't be spending our Sunday evenings uh, <laughs> at 10.37. Um, you know, Luke's got a newborn baby and... Uh, my, my wife's some nights tonight, so uh, <laughs> you know it, it, we're not getting paid for anything. This, anything to get away from the family. Yeah, um, you know it'll be bedtime in a minute, everybody. And so uh, yeah, so thanks for joining us. You know, stay tuned for next week, and we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll pick up a guest here or there. And uh, have a great week, most importantly, and we'll see you soon. Goodbye. Yep, thank you everybody, and uh, don't forget Spotify, Amazon, Apple, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. Have a great week. Bye.